I should introduce myself too, because there's so many new faces. I feel like I haven't gotten to say hi to everybody, but say hi to me afterwards, or I'll try to, I try to say hi to everybody, but I'm Caleb, I'm 20, my dad is Pastor Brian, um, 21. It's almost my 21st birthday this week, but I go to a Bible college, so that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> we might go to Red Lobster, though, so double lobster right now. That's pretty exciting for a Bible student. Um, <laughs> I want to say thank you guys for letting me preach. I love preaching. This is like the best thing in the world for me. I know Bible students usually don't get a lot of opportunities to preach, but thank you for letting me do this. I take this seriously. This isn't just because my dad is a preacher, but I love preaching so much. This is wonderful. Thank you for letting me do this, um, and I take it very seriously. Also, I'm going to take my glasses off because I stepped on them, and they're going to fall off, but I need to say that because I'm, like, totally blind. I have no idea what's going on out there right now anymore. So those are the announcements. Thank you for letting me be here, and I can't see you. If you want to just get up and leave, I, I wouldn't know. If I go long, you could all sneak out, and I would just tire myself out eventually. So that's, or if there's a fire, just drag me out. But I don't, I have no idea what's going on right now. Um, what else was there? Oh, there's no notes in your bulletin, so have fun with that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pray and then we'll get going. Spirit, be present. Show us your son through your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. We praise you and we love you. Be present. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last time I preached, I taught on the doctrine of Scripture, on the doctrine of the Word of God, and some people said, I got some feedback that it was a little theological, a little heady, so this morning we're doing doctrine of the Trinity. (laughs) No, no one one said that, but doing the doctrine of the Trinity. (laughs) I want to point out, I do want to start though by saying this might scare some people, saying there's a sermon on the Trinity. The Trinity is the source of our joy. I have the fruit of the spirit of joy because of the Trinity. This is the most personal, most sweet doctrine in Christianity. This is not dead philosophy. This is not a logic thing we're going to bang our heads against this morning. This is sweet, life-giving, God is Trinity. It does take work to think about it, but it's life-giving. This isn't just philosophy. So don't be scared by this scary word. Uh, If you do get lost, though, I put up this medieval picture of the Trinity, you can just try to figure out what's going on there. So if I'm boring, just look at that thing. That'll keep you awake. Okay, doctrine of the Trinity. I think most people in churches, most evangelicals, if you say, I believe in the Trinity, or you're talking about the Trinity, people can kind of hear when things are off or they hear when it's right. You can pick out what's good or bad. But if you ask, what is the doctrine of the Trinity, I think most people have a hard time giving a definitive answer to what is the doctrine of the Trinity. So the first thing I want to do, the first part of the sermon, is giving a definitive answer to that question. So that if you are asked, what is the doctrine of the Trinity, you can give a clear answer. And the answer is one sentence, easy to memorize. God is one in essence and three in person. So if you are asked, what is the doctrine of the Trinity, the answer is, God is one in essence and three in person. The reason I believe this is because it is the consistent testimony of Scripture from the beginning to the end. This is clearly what Scripture teaches in the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation from cover to cover. God is one in essence and three in person. Say it with me. God is one in essence, three in person. Yes. I'm into the hand motions, I guess. I don't know. 
Um, <laughs> that is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, you can go on for pages giving statements explaining that and clarifying what that means, but every clarifying statement is just making this sentence more clear. God is one in essence and three in person. The Niceo-Constantinopolitan Creed that defines the Trinity for the church is really just this sentence explained very clearly. Okay? So this is the doctrine of the Trinity. Before I give a bunch of scripture references showing this is what the Bible teaches, though, before we go into the Bible, I want to explain the sentence. So I'm going to explain what this means more clearly, and then we're going to demonstrate this is clearly what the Bible teaches on every page. We're not going to go through every page of the Bible. I just mean every page of the Bible teaches this. Okay, the thing that you got to understand, the most important distinction is the difference between being or essence and personhood. God is one being, he is one in essence, and he is three in person. That distinction is not philosophically hard to get. You make that distinction every single day between being and personhood. Being is anything that exists. I am one being. You are one being. The chairs you are sitting on are You're sitting on one being. The planet is one being. God is one being. Being is any one thing that exists. Personhood is any being that has a mind, a heart, and a will. So you are one being and one person. You are a personal being. The chair you are sitting on is not a personal being. Mind, heart, and will. Animals, impersonal beings. They have, they analyze data, but that's not a mind A mind thinks analytically about reality. A heart, animals can kind of like feel pain and feel hungry, but a heart is deep emotions about the way things are. And a will isn't just, I want food or I want to sleep. A will is seeking satisfaction in something. So the only personal beings are God, angels, and humans. Angels and demons and humans. That's the difference between being and personhood. I don't think that's hard to understand. I came up with a funny little illustration for it. If you kick a rock, you know it has being because you feel it. It has being. But you don't feel bad about kicking a rock because it's impersonal. It doesn't have a mind, a heart, and a will. But if you kick a rock, where's a rock? Where is he? Is he here today? If you kick O-Rock, you know he has being because you can feel him with your foot. But you shouldn't kick O-Rock because he's a person made in the image of God. Being and personhood is not hard to understand. God is one in being, three in person. The Father has his own mind, his own heart, and his own will. The Son has his own mind, his own heart, his own will. The Spirit has his own mind, his own heart, his own will. But they are one in being. I don't think that's that hard to understand. What is... Oh, I'm using being and essence interchangeably, by the way. Those are, you can, don't get hung up on that. Um, what, uh, what is unique about God is there is no other creature in existence that is one in being, but is more than one in person. God is the only thing like that. I am one being and one person. You are one being and one person. Satan is one being and one person. All the angels are one being and one person. But just because God is unique doesn't mean it's a logical contradiction. If you say God is one being and three beings, that's just a contradiction. That's just nonsense. If you say God is one in person and three in person, that's also just a contradiction. Saying God is one in being and three in person 
is completely logically sound. That makes perfect sense. It's just there's nothing else like him. But that's okay because there's lots of things about God that are unique. He's also the only eternal thing. There's nothing else eternal. The idea of being eternal makes sense. It's just there's only one eternal being. God is all good. He's all loving. There's nothing else like that. But just because he's unique doesn't mean that idea doesn't make sense. So the doctrine of one in being, one in essence, three in person is completely logically sound. It's just unique. There's nothing else like him. But there's lots of things unique about God. So you can kind of use analogies. We can come up with lots of analogies. And that's, that's fine. There's nothing sinful about analogies, obviously. You can say this part of God is kind of like this other thing or this part of God is kind of like this other thing. But because God is unique, you can't say, oh, God is exactly like this other thing. By definition, there can't be anything other just like God. He's unique. So we can, it's okay to come up with analogies, but realize all analogies are just analogies. There's only one thing like this. But it's not a contradiction. It makes perfect logical sense. That is my best ability to rationally explain this sentence. I don't think it's that hard to understand. I, I really think kids have memorized the Baptist catechism. They've memorized catechisms. I said Baptist catechism. Kids have memorized catechisms for hundreds of years that teach this. This is not super hard to understand. I really don't think. Um, but so now I want to demonstrate, though, that the reason I believe this is not because of clever logic. It's not because of any theologians. It's not because of any creeds or councils. The reason I believe this is because the Bible just clearly teaches it. The Bible clearly teaches God is one in essence and three in person all over the place. So I have to put my glasses back on. You guys are still here? Okay, good. <laughs> no one's on their phone or anything? Okay. So here are a bunch of verses saying there is one being God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That is the Shema, the prayer of Israel. They would pray this multiple times a day. This is the prayer of Israel. God is one. Isaiah 44, 6, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, an idol has no real existence. There is no God but one. The Bible clearly teaches there is one being at the foundation of reality. All of reality comes from one being. But look at this. Three different persons are called God. Jesus said, I am ascending to my father, to your father, to my God and your God. The father is called God. Again, the father is called God all over the place. This is just one verse. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So Jesus calms the storm and the people in the boat worship him. They say, you, Jesus, are the son of God, the father. There's God, the father, who is one person. You are his son a different person, we worship him and we worship you, and Jesus didn't stop them. If someone worships you, you have to stop them. Jesus didn't stop people from worshiping him. Also, Jesus is just called the Son of God, or just called God. Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. He's just outright called God all over the place. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. Acts 5. The Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably. You lie to God, you lie to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the point is that three persons are called God here. Three different persons are specifically called God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When you wanted to become part of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, if you wanted to become part of Israel, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised and then you would be baptized in the name of God. So, 
Jesus is speaking to all Jews and they are expecting when you get baptized into us, you get baptized in the name of God. But Jesus says, when you get baptized to become a Christian, you get baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descended like a dove coming to rest on him and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. All three members of the Trinity in one scene. Okay, this is the tip of the tip of the iceberg of verses that talk about the Trinity. I had 51 slides about verses talking about the Trinity. Where's Sarah? Is she in here? I, she saw, she can be my witness. I had 51 slides. The Trinity is clearly taught in Scripture. These are just a couple clear verses. God is one in essence, three in person. All three persons are mentioned all the time interchangeably. This is not something that philosophers and theologians dreamt up. The reason I believe this is because it's just obvious from the beginning of Genesis even. It's in all over the Old Testament. These were all New Testament verses, except for the Shema. But even in the Old Testament, it's all over the place. Okay? Um, I, I can't emphasize that enough. I'm, I don't believe in theology. I believe in the Bible. And the Bible teaches this. Okay. So, um, one of the best ways to understand the Trinity, though. This is kind of fun. The best way, one of the best ways to understand the Trinity is to examine heretical positions. So if you say this heresy went a little too far here and this heresy went a little too far here, eventually you're going to have a really clearly defined doctrine. So we're just going to go over like a couple this morning. I think this is kind of fun. Maybe that's weird. But we're going to go over heresies that get the Trinity wrong for the sake of understanding the Trinity more clearly. Okay? And then we can move on to how this matters because I don't want to just talk about doctrine. I want to talk about our spiritual life with God. But I want to go over some heresies. Oh, no. The, heresy, the heretics don't want me to preach. Yeah, it's not going. Oh, there it is. Okay, tritheism. This one gets it wrong pretty easily. There's three gods. God is three beings and three persons. Pretty clearly wrong. So we, why is that wrong? Because we believe in one being God. Adoptionism, or if you want to sound like a Moody student, dynamic monarchianism. You can call it that. Adoptionism says God is one in being, and one in person, so there's just the Father, but he, but then there was this human born, and Jesus, he was a really good human, so God the Father made Jesus part of God. Nope, God has always been one in being, three in person. He didn't adopt Jesus and make Jesus God. Arianism is closer. It's closer than adoptionism. Jesus wasn't just a human who was good. Jesus is the best spiritual being. Jesus isn't just the best spiritual being. He is, he has the essence of God. He is a second person with the essence of God. He's not just close. Pneumatomachianism. These guys, oh, we hate the Pneumatomachians. I was just talking about how much I hate them the other day. The Pneumatomachians. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, every, <laughs> the Pneumatomachians. They believe in a binity. God the Father, God is one in essence and two in person. There's one God the Father and God the Son, but the Holy Spirit is a force like magnetism or electricity, but he's not a person. Remember, a person has a mind, a heart, and a will, and they would say the Holy Spirit is just a force. Uh, I think one of the best verses against those pneumatomachians is in Ephesians, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by, leave, by living in wickedness. When you sin, you are grieving the heart of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can't grieve magnetism. 
You can't grieve a force. You grieve persons by living sinfully. So take that, uh, pneumatomachians. Uh, Sabalian, this is really the only one that is very popular. These are all hold, held by cult groups or really no one anymore. These, this is the only one that uh, you're going to find churches that call themselves modalists. Um, and they would say God is one in being and one in person. But that one person, he used to be the father, and then he took on the different mode of a son, and then he took on the different mode of a Holy Spirit. But he's just one person. That is not Christianity. That is a heresy. That is not okay. That is a different religion. I don't believe in that God. That is not the God of the Bible. God is one in essence. He is three in person. He has always been three in person. He is not one person switching modes. Uh, There are some leaders in what is called evangelicalism who would say you can be a modalist and be a Christian. You can't. This is not God. God is one in essence and three in person. I don't believe in just a general God. I believe in the Trinity. Okay? The modalistic God is not uh, God. I didn't have this up here, but there's this other heresy uh, that I really like, my favorite heresy. If I was a heretic in the fourth century, I would have been in this group, the Circumcilians. That's their real name, the Circumcilians. They were Arians, but they also had two other cool things about them. This is just bonus church history fun. Uh, They domesticated lions. They had like pet lions that they rode around and they were nudists. They were, <laughs> they, were, they were Aryans riding around naked on lions. <laughs> if you're going to be a heretic, go for it. That's, the be- that's by far the best. Uh... And their name was the Circumcilians. <laughs> okay. Uh, this list of heresies, this list of heresies could go on. Apollinarianism, uh, Nestorianism, Eutychianism, Monophysitism, Monothelitism, Docetism. Uh, we, could, we could go on, but I think this is, you know, you get what I'm saying? Why I did this logically? If you figure out where it's too far, if you get where people go wrong, the doctrine of the one in essence, three in person is more clear. Okay? So God is one in essence, three in person. We talked about it rationally. I gave you some verses. Um, I can give you the whole, like, 51 slides of verses. We could do that in connection time. No, I'm just, uh, and then we talked about some heresies. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. So now if you're asked, what is the doctrine of the Trinity? You can do with the hand motions. God is one in essence and three in person. Now I want to talk about how the Trinity matters in our lives and in the gospel. This, is ju- this was just like the doctrine esoterically or as it is in itself. The Trinity is not just something to study from afar. I love the Trinity. The Trinity is three persons whom I am in relationship with. So we need to move from this logic side of it to the Christian life. And uh, I have three sections in this that you can follow along on your notes uh, that I forgot to write. Okay. The son's role in history is to reveal the father to creation. This is the first point to make. The Trinity is important to understand because God the Father is the transcendent, invisible, sovereign person within the Trinity. You will never see the Father. He, the Father, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 1 Timothy 6.16. The Father is the immaterial, sovereign, transcendent person 
in the Trinity. But you understand the Father. How do you get to understand the Father? Because the second person of the Trinity became a human. The more you understand the person of Jesus, the more you are understanding who God is. So look at these. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God. He, Jesus, who is at the Father's right side, he has made him known. He, Jesus, has made God the Father known. Literally, Jesus has exegeted the Father to us. You know, exegesis is when you take the meaning of Scripture and you explain it. This literally says Jesus is the exegeter of the Father. If you want to know what the immutable, transcendent, sovereign God is like, you look at a Jewish man who has brown eyes and brown hair, and he's a human who slept and ate and went to the bathroom. He is, he is the incarnation of the Father. You understand what God is like by seeing a person who is going to forever be a Jewish man with holes in his hands. We know God as a person, not just a book. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and is the exact imprint of his nature. You don't see the Father, you see a human. Jesus is the incarnation of the Father such that when you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus holding children. And when you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus hanging on a cross. And when you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus crying for his friend Lazarus. And when you want to know what God is like, you see Jesus hugging sick people and kissing sinners and being kind to the prostitutes. And you see him angry at legalists. When you, see, when you want to know what God is like, you look at the life of a Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago. Do you get this? Knowing Jesus is knowing the Father. He's the perfect incarnation of everything that God is. And he forever will be. So in eternity future, when I ask, if I were to turn to you and we're in heaven and I ask, what is God like? You point to a person. You point to a Jewish man with scars in his hands. For the rest of eternity, knowing him is knowing God the Father. Do you get that? No, no one actually fully gets that. That was a trick question because we can't really fully understand it. The next part, the Spirit's role in history is to draw people to the Son. So the Father is the transcendent, immutable, sovereign person in the Trinity. The Son is the perfect incarnation and capture of who God is. But without the Holy Spirit making us alive, we don't care. We, as humans, hate God. If there's one thing we can all agree on, without the Holy Spirit coming into us, it's that we hate God. I don't care, apart from the Holy Spirit, we as a humanity, if God comes to our planet, we're going to kill him. We would strip him naked and nail him to a cross because we hate God. Apart from the Holy Spirit changing our heart and making us love the Son, we will always eat the fruit. We will always rebel. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes you love the Father and want to see him in Jesus. Do you see how salvation is a triune act? It's three persons bringing you to salvation. You wouldn't want to see God in the Son if the Holy Spirit didn't regenerate you. Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And we all, 2 Corinthians 3, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Your salvation and your sanctification are a work of the Spirit bringing you to the Father through the Son. That's good. Write that down. Your salvation and your sanctification is the work of the Spirit drawing you to the Father through the Son. 
The salvation is fundamentally about the Trinity. The Trinity is not this hard thing that you want to keep to the side. The Trinity is the essence of the gospel. Oh, okay. I forgot to put this in here. There's a rapper. There's a Christian rapper. Does everyone, that's important to get that part. Uh, there's a rapper named Shy Lin. He's a Christian rapper. And he wrote a song about the roles of the Trinity in salvation, which is not a normal rap topic. But I think he gets it so clearly. There are three persons in the Trinity, each working together to save us. And this song expresses it really well. I'm not going to have, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll kind of wrap it. Father, Son, and Spirit, three and yet one, working as a unit to get things done. Our salvation began in eternity past when God certainly had to bring all his purpose to pass. A triune eternal bond no one could ever sever. When it comes to the church, peep, that's a rap word, how they work together. <laughs> This is where it gets good. The Father foreknew first. The Son came to earth to die. The Holy Spirit gives the new birth. The Father elects them. The Son pays their debt and protects them. The Spirit is the one who resurrects them. The Father chooses them. The Son gets bruised for them. The Spirit renews them and produces fruit in them. It's quite amazing how in salvation, each person of the Trinity contributes like a compilation. The Father elected me. Jesus bled for me. And regeneration is the Holy Spirit's confirmation. So we repent of our abominations. Then he drops the mic. (laughs) <laughs> that's really good. The, tri- the salvation is not just about not going to hell. It is about not going to hell, but it's three members of the Trinity saving us as a unit. This is extreme. This is, this, this is just dripping from scripture. I, I, this is not clever theology. This is how the Bible talks. Okay. I want to get, as I'm finishing up, even more like bringing it even more personal. So this is what this last section is going to be. We've talked about what the doctrine of the Trinity is, one in essence, three in person, their roles in the gospel. But then this final section is the most personal intimateness of the Trinity. So these are just thoughts about the spiritual considerations about the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? One, heaven is a place of triune community. Think about salvation this way. In eternity past, before creation, God existed as three persons in perfect love and unity and joy. God didn't need anything. He didn't create because he was lonely. He had perfect self-giving love and joy and community in himself before creation. At the end of creation, it's the Trinity in perfect love and self-giving joy. And you are in the middle of the community. Salvation is about bringing people into triune, self-giving, loving community. Salvation is about bringing you further into the Spirit to see God the Father through the Son and to see God the Father through the Son in the Spirit even more. It's, that's what salvation is. So that you love God and you know him more by seeing him in the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's how eternity began and that's how eternity will end. The only difference is you get to be there. That's what salvation is about. Jonathan Edwards' second most popular sermon is heaven is a world of love. It's all about this idea that heaven is not primarily about anything other than you existing in the Trinity. The Trinity is what we are saved to. Jesus said eternal life is this, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is about being in the Trinity. But it gets even better. There's more. 
The Trinity never ends. You're never going to be at a point where you say, I know all there is to know about the Father, and I see all of the fullness of the Son, or I have the fullness of the Spirit. Every moment in heaven is getting better than the moment before because you're loving God more, because you're understanding the Spirit more, because you're having more of the Spirit. Eternity never ends because we are finite creatures growing into an infinite community. Do you get that? Every moment of heaven is going to be better because you're continually seeing him in him through him more. You're continually seeing God in God through God and it never ends. You're going to always praise him more for his wisdom and love and grace and wrath and justice and immutability and transcendence and imminence and aseity. You're always going to be learning more about the attributes of God and it doesn't end, but it gets even better. There's more spiritual richness here. Growth in the triune community overflows into worship. This is the best part to me. When you see God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, you don't just sit there. It overflows into your life through worship. Whether that's whatever that looks like in your life, it bubbles up into worship. So in heaven, what will be going on is you're you're living in this triune community. It will overflow into worship, but the way you worship God is specific to you. God has made you specifically to be able to worship him in this triune community in a way no other creature possibly could. Do you get that? You don't have to be anyone else. I'm not Augustine or Calvin or Luther, but I don't have to be because I was meant to be me and for me to worship God in this way, the way I'm specifically meant to. And you don't have to worry about being anyone else. You are made specifically to exist in this community by name, not just a general elect, but he, by name, you exist to be in this community for it to overflow in worship. And he loves you specifically, not in just general, but you exist in the triune community by name. But it gets even better. Does it? I can't read it. Okay, here it is. When you get to this moment, when you're in this moment of of perfect triune community and you are worshiping him the specific way you were meant to, you will understand that every moment of suffering and sin in this life was specifically used so that you can worship him the way you specifically are meant to. No one in heaven is going to say there was unnecessary suffering. My grandparents both died painful of painful illness, when they're in, they're in triune community right now, they are not saying, God, that was unfair. They are saying illness is bad, but praise God because every moment of suffering, every ounce of heartache is worth it to make me who I am now. When you're in the triune community, there is no wasted pain. Every moment of suffering is used specifically so you can reflect him the way you were created to. Even your sin is used that way. That's your, your, not only suffering coming at you is used, but God even redeems your specific sin so that you are able to worship God, worship God specifically for redeeming you from the way you specifically sin. Even your sin. When you're in heaven, you're not going to say, I'm thankful I sinned. Sin is always bad, but you will say, thank you, God, for redeeming me specifically from those sins. In triune community, every moment of pain and every moment of sin is specifically used so you by name can worship God in the way no other creature could. That's salvation. Trinity is salvation. Ah, this is so good. Okay. I have more. It gets even better. 
This, I don't want to emphasize that it's just later. Triune community is the Christian life. All I care about in life is seeing God the Father in the person of the Son through the Holy Spirit. I, I would like my life to go well otherwise, but I don't care. T- torture me for Christ. Nothing else matters. This is all that matters. Triune community begins now. I am a joyful person. I am genuinely satisfied in life because I am considering the triune community. This is how to live. The triune community is not second to the Christian life. This is the Christian life. And so when you think this way, that Christianity is about the Trinity, fighting sin and evangelism become totally different because it's not this struggle where I have to say no to things I really want. This is what I want. Existing to see him in him through him is what I want. And if I'm prideful or I get angry or I, whatever sin I have is going to stop this, then I don't want that. Sin becomes a thing that stops you from enjoying this trying community. Fighting sin is more about maintaining community. It's not about just saying no to things your body wants. Also, evangelism, I don't have to try really hard to tell people about this. This is, this is my source of infinite joy. How could I not love my neighbor enough to tell them about this? You don't have to work at evangelism when you understand this is... Now, I don't want to overemphasize it and say the Christian life is just easy. Fighting sin is hard. And it's hard to work up courage to evangelize. But when you're living in the triune community, it just takes on a totally different role. This is, what, this is all that matters. Okay. And then here's my last thought. Apologetics should be triune. What I mean is, people want this. The world is starving to exist in a self-giving, loving relationship with a God who has eternally been self-giving and loving. Sometimes when we talk with people about the gospel, you push the Trinity, we push the Trinity to the side. Like, that's kind of hard to understand. We don't want to make that the center. The Trinity is the center. This is the thing the world is starving for. They want to exist in a self-giving, openly loving community with God. Don't put the Trinity to the side because it's hard to understand. In apologetics with Muslims and Jews, specifically, you can do arguments and uh, textual critical arguments and messianic prophecy arguments, and that's fine. But what their soul is crying out for is a personal, relational God. Only Christianity and only the Trinity is truly personal and relational. This is what the soul, this is what the soul needs. So in evangelism and in apologetics, you can to- I'm all about arguments and I read lots of books about that and I- debates are fun. But really what what, this is attractive to people. Even in other religions, they want what we have in the triune community. Don't push it to the side just because it's a little bit hard to understand. I thought I had another one, but I guess I don't. <laughs> um, and everyone's still here. <laughs> Good. Um, The doctrine of the Trinity is the Christian life. This is not secondary to other important theology. This is Christian theology. We we don't believe in God in general. We believe in the Trinity. I have more verses, but we can talk about it in connection time. I'm going to close in prayer.